As was mentioned earlier, how thankful we each can be for the blessing of God that permits us to assemble on this first day of the week, this Lord's Day, in which we can exalt and lift high what God has commanded and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. In fact, that is by far the best way to begin a week, and each of us can be encouraged and lifted up by the opportunity we have this day of service and worship of our Heavenly Father. You may have noted in the reading a moment ago from Ephesians chapter 5, that we, over the next few moments this morning, will give some consideration to two terms in particular that I've chosen as the title to the lesson today. On the one hand is love, and on another is submission. And as we noted, those words did occur in the passages before us. And I would invite us to think rather carefully over the next few moments about the placement that those words have and the messages that they have for you and me as we strive to live in our families, more importantly, each day. As you think about what those words will mean for us in a moment, let's build to them with some introductory thoughts and comments. As you and I turn the pages of the Word of God, we rather readily discover that there are some institutions that the God of heaven has set forth and done so with remarkable authority and with powerful instruction. We find in the opening verses of the Bible, in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, mention made of an organization come to be known as the home. We find not too many chapters later, the first mention made of civil government and the authority that they have been given as well. Finally, as we notice in the second chapter of Acts, the marvelous matter of the church and all three of these institutions have a place and a role that they in fact can occupy to make the human family here upon this earth happy and directed and instructed as it ought to be. But as we give thought to each of them, we do know that all three, in many ways, suffer problems and difficulties due to their failure to understand the blessed instruction of the Bible. Today, our consideration will be on that first one that I mentioned a moment ago. Isn't it amazing the kind of attacks that the home continues to suffer? We see it virtually nightly on the news, daily in the newspapers. We appreciate it on various websites, if you look at the news much on the internet at least. And as we give thought to each and every one of them, it certainly almost causes us to break and to weigh down beneath the load of the attacks that our homes are facing on a daily basis. I've listed there on that slide the fact that there are many in our land who seemingly wish to change the orchestration of the home, to change the definitions that go into its makeup, to redefine the matters associated with the most fundamental and basic character of its being. All they do, in of course, in attempt to do that is to set forth some agenda so that there are things that need not be looked upon as it was in days gone by. That kind of approach, however, leads us to notice that those threats to marriage in particular quite often find themselves coming both from within and from without. It is true, isn't it, that marriage, that union blessed by the God of heaven and appreciated in the Word of God is so often nowadays one too in which there are attacks from without. The characteristics of various laws, the characteristics of descriptions and redefinitions that seek to make marriage less respected, at least biblically that is, from the way that it once was. 
Those attacks often seem so hurtful. They often are so damaging. And they often, in fact, have as their end result the basic need of elevating what basically is nothing but straightforward sinfulness. But those redefinitions and all of those statements do remind us that there are times when there are attacks on the home and they come from within. They come from failures in us. They come from the various approaches, behaviors, conducts, and things that you and I fail to appreciate and put into practice as well. Suffice it to say, whether those attacks come from within or whether they come from without, they are things that thankfully the Bible addresses and helps us understand more deeply. It is those attacks from within, at least some of them, that I would invite us to consider this morning. For a godly marriage, as we will find and noted in our text, two things that must be present, this attribute of love and this attribute of submission. Let's see what the Apostle Paul had to say about each of them as we look more carefully at those texts that we noted earlier. And as we do that, let's take them in this order. Let's describe the characteristic of love first. In Ephesians 5, verse number 25, that text that Lucas read just a moment ago, it still says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. As the Bible sets forth the characteristic of what is involved in a home that is as God would have it to be. It understands the blessing of God here and looks forward to the blessing of God hereafter. It knows the peace and tranquility of two individuals bound not only to one another, but each one individually bound to the proclamations of God in the Bible. It still says in Matthew 19, 6, doesn't it, what God hath joined together, let not man put us under. And so we're reminded that God is the one that orchestrated that union. He is the one that officiated most clearly at the occasion of the wedding. It is with that in mind we notice then this matter of love as Paul addresses it here. I would invite you to notice this statement given to husbands. Husbands, love your wives. It may seem as if when we give thought to the passing of the ages... The kind of differences in culture that exist now compared to centuries ago, we realize that though that kind of thing may well change, it doesn't set aside in any way, does it? The thoroughness and command of here what is stated. So thorough is that command, I would invite you to notice some of the statements or at least some of the descriptions of those words as the Greek text has them. Love your wives. That verb, love, as it appears here is a verb that is described as imperative, present, and active. Now, those three things that are part of the way Greek verbs are described, that tells us the following. First of all, imperative reminds us this is a strong assertion. Call it a command if you like. Husbands, as it is our duties as those that would be pleasing to God as we have taken upon ourselves the liberty of being wed to a woman, that we are to love her. And you'll notice that imperative statement is only amplified by the present tense character. This is an ongoing thing. That love is not to last for a month, a year, ten years. It is to last in a continuous fashion, constantly if you will, until the end of that life. 
Finally, you'll notice active. That describes the voice. That is to say, one of the attributes of the verb, and I thought that one we might look at a little bit more interestingly. When a verb is described as active, it basically means that it involves the careful participation on the part of the one that is being addressed. And so husbands, all of us within the sound of my voice, are being addressed very carefully and very directly, aren't we? We are to not take a passive role, but rather an active one as we seek to love our wives and do so in the way that the Bible commands. You'll notice that means the activity, the involvement of ourselves leads us to ask each of us some rather direct questions. Do I love my wife as I should, as this verse would demand of me? And what about you? Do you love your wife as this verse would demand of you? You'll notice, though, that additionally it says this. It does say in that very same verse, Love your wives as Christ also loved the church. It is that that lifts this to a plane of great depth and profound consideration, doesn't it? Because we each know the depth to which Christ loved the church, and we appreciate that as He looked forward to the marvelous reality of the church in her establishment. He knew the crucible of agony that He would have to pass through to make that a reality. He knew all that would surround Golgotha, all that would surround the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew all of it, and yet He knew that for that church to be a reality, that was demanded and required of Him. He loved the church that much. That Acts 20, 28 says He purchased it with His own blood. When you and I think then about our wives, do we love her in a special way, in a sacrificial way, in a selfless way, at least compared to the way that Christ loved His church? It does place upon us a serious load of questions. And it challenges us day by day to actively seek to then express to her our love in the way that she understands, and in a way, of course, that would be in accordance to these verses. I would have next on here some statements that remind all of us of this. Husbands, we must never take our role in the family for granted because it goes without saying, it seems to me, the following statement is appropriate. The way in which we love or fail to love our wife as commanded will play a major factor in our salvation and hers. If our love is as it ought to be, it will aid her and lead her toward that blessed place in which she shall be found acceptable unto God on the day of judgment. But if our love has failed, if we haven't been those who have loved as we ought to have then, it may well be she in strayness will find herself regretful too on that day of judgment. Our impact toward our wife has an eternal consequence, and may we ever take then the vows that we took on that wedding day seriously. That serious perhaps is amplified as you look at verse number 28. We've already learned that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, but Paul uses another comparison as well. Verse 28 says, "...so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies." He that loveth his wife loveth himself. We each recognize that it seems there is no limit to what we'll do for our body. When something's ill, when something isn't right, we seek the finest attention that at least we can afford to pay. 
and we seek the finest source of instruction and encouragement with regard to it. Well, here he says, love your wives as you love your own body. That selfless kind of love then, of course, aids in the making of what is an extremely strong bond and union. Those who can weather the storms this life has to offer because they're founded on something far more than what may be on the surface. There's a deep-seated love that husband had expressed, and she knows it. She is aware of the sacrificial way that he, on many occasions, has directed things for the benefit of herself and the family. That kind of matter is something then that aids in the formation over a long time at least of what is indeed that strong marriage. But husbands, again, doesn't this paint for you and for me a rather serious and profound series of questions? Questions... Have I loved her that way? Does she know that I love her? Have I told her and expressed it and manifested in ways that are evident and obvious so that she can appreciate the overguarding and overarching character of the strongness of our feelings for them? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That kind of love perhaps brings us to notice some of the things then that should be expressed in that love. What are some things that, of course, the Bible teaches us about the nature of that love, what it should express, what it should manifest. Here are a few of the matters, husbands, that you and I find ourselves given directly by the wording of God. Verse 23, that same verse we've noted earlier. Jesus is the head of the body, Colossians 1 verse 18, and He is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. We notice in this passage in Ephesians 5, as well as that beautiful refrain of Revelation 19, there is a description of the church as the bride of Christ. Isn't it true then that just as Jesus is the head, He provides the guidance, the leadership, the instruction? So too it is that God has given to that husband, to you and to me, the opportunity and, yea, even the responsibility of spiritual leadership. Husbands, are we leading our families? Do they see, does our wife and our children see in us the example that they ought to see? Do they see us as we turn our attention to the Scriptures or do, or do they never see us open it? Do they see us striving to make our own way through the difficulties of this life? Or do they see us depending on a power higher than ourselves? beseeching that power, God Himself, for all the instruction and all the guiding that you and I would need. Oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in Himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Those words of Jeremiah 10 verse 23. As you think about that spiritual leadership, notice there is a matter of purity that also is set forth and highlighted. Husbands, are you and I leading a life of purity? Or are we acting shadier than we need to be acting? The Bible sets forth that blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Matthew 5 verse 8. Are you and I desirous then of seeing God and leading our family so that they can do the same? If so, then our life should be one based upon the premise of purity. Desirous of thinking on things that are true and honest and just and lovely and pure and of good report. That text of Philippians 4 verse 8 still reminds us then 
that this matter of purity is also touched upon here in verse number 26 of Ephesians chapter 5. After giving that statement about husbands to love their wives, it says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. There was a reference, wasn't there, then to an attribute of purity that the church was to have, and so it is. We would anticipate that in the marriage there also should be purity. That's usually a part of the marriage vows. The husband, the wife are to keep themselves solely from one another. And not only that, we understand that that kind of teaching reminds us that there should be an internal life of earnestness and purity displayed. Not only is that purity to be seen, but what about sacrifice? Husbands are reminded on a number of occasions about the beauty and power of sacrifice. We aren't to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, Romans 12 verse 3. And furthermore, we understand that just as Jesus gave of Himself selflessly for the well-being of the church, the husband should have the wife's best interest at heart, understanding that that which is to take place, the instruction given, the behavior seen, should earnestly work toward the well-being of herself. That kind of selflessness reminds us of the sacrifice of Christ and points us to the degree of understanding seen, not only in 1 Corinthians 7, but in 1 Peter 3. In verse 7 of 1 Peter 3, we find there that Peter directed some words of encouragement to those of his day when he encouraged husbands to dwell with them with understanding. We seek to then be understanding husbands, understanding about the sensitivities, understanding about the character that associates to the things demanded in life. And as such, as we seek to be understanding, we always try to do that again in a way that was much like that example given in 1 Peter chapter 3. That understanding perhaps finally tells us about this matter of pride. Now, I use that word rather carefully, and maybe at this point it seems a bit perplexing. I say that because remember what God said in Genesis chapter 2. There, on the occasion of the very first marriage ceremony, the very first wedding, if you will, wasn't it true that verse 24 said, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And as we recollect that, notice what is asserted as there is that cleaving, that joining together, that bondage, if you will, in which they have voluntarily entered into this lifelong union, there could well be noted a powerful attribute of pride. As a husband is proud of his wife, thankful for her, understanding of the blessing that she has been and continues to be to him, that kind of pride seems to be amplified in verse 27 of the text before us that He might present it to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Jesus, of course, intended that church, and as it was established, it was pure in every regard. No spots, no wrinkles, no blemishes. And so it is as that husband seeks to dwell in his family. He, of course, appreciates the need that he wants that purity to be exemplified not just in his life, but in his wife's life as well. He thus seeks in an attribute of being very thankful for her. And Colossians 3 verse 19 reminds us 
that we as husbands, of course, are not to make are not to embitter them. In other words, to behave purposefully and to do so with premeditation in a way that simply leads to bittered feelings, embittered actions. That, of course, reminds us all of that, doesn't it? That these statements seem to follow directly. I've tried to state it like this. How a husband loves his wife says a great, great deal about the husband himself. If his love for her is far less than it could be, maybe he's a selfish man. Maybe he far more elevates what he prefers and what he thinks to his deep-seated consideration of her. Not only that, if that is the case, then he obviously thinks far more about himself than he does about what the Bible teaches on those matters too. You'll notice at the bottom of that slide, what does that then say? It says that a husband is to have many characteristics as he dwells with his wife and in his family. At the bottom, I've tried to point out some things. Nowhere do we find the word tyrant in anything we've read. No far, nowhere do we find that word that relates to abusive character. The Bible doesn't endorse a husband that would act abusively, either physically, emotionally, or verbally toward his wife. After all, did Jesus act that way toward the church? Did He act that way toward even those that were His own disciples? He taught them in love and in compassion and in mercy, striving always to lead them to a deeper understanding of what He wished them to know. Husbands, we have many things then said about you and me. Many things that we can day by day strive to live up to and perhaps as we meander through life, we seek to perfect our appreciation of these with each passing day and with each passing month. It still is true from Hebrews 13.4 that marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. The statements we have made so far concerning husbands Patterned after that wording in verse number 25 does lead us to verse number 27, or rather back to verse 22, I should say. Because there we also find that there is the word related to submission. Let's again reread verse 22, please. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And so now we learn that not only did Paul make an address toward the husbands, reminding them very carefully of some of the things that they should ever keep in mind, we also notice that he also addresses the wives. Let's devote now some time to thinking about the duties, the obligations, and the features given toward them. As we do that, perhaps we should begin like this. This phrase, this context, this description of the wife being submissive to her husband, at least in many circles, has gone the way of many other things, such as the Edsel. They just aren't to be found anymore. Few indeed are the books, the documentaries, the testimonials that would speak, at least very highly, about the nature of female, perhaps I should say wifely submission to the husband. In the 1970s, we will remember the women's liberation movement. And it gained a great deal, of course, of national attention. Many particular laws were at least discussed very interestingly about changing, bringing in new ones, setting aside older ones, all in an attempt to lift high what was called then, at least, the women's liberation movement. With that age of the 1970s come, 
and of course the things that have passed ever since. We notice now in many ways it has become politically incorrect to speak about submission of the wife to the husband. It's become a taboo matter and a thing that is left for an ancient day when people didn't know any better. But it is interesting that still is in the Word of God, isn't it? And it still is to be found in what God said, just as surely as He told the husbands to love their wives, and likely no one would question that one. There still is this commandment relative to the wife submitting to her husband. As you can see on this slide, I would ask us to notice this isn't the only place in which that phrase and that description is found. Not only here in Ephesians 5, but we also encounter it directly in 1 Peter 3, 1. There, the inspired apostle Peter said, Wives, be in subjection unto your own husbands. And thus the thought, the appreciation rings very similarly to this one. That idea of submission then brings us to appreciate this. There are some who, in light of these modern developments, would say that this should be viewed in a cultural way, that it was appropriate for ancient Corinth, and it was appropriate, they might say, for the ancient Jerusalem area, but we now are more modern, we're more progressive, we're more understanding, we're more educated, and so these kind of verses just need to be understood as cultural, and don't worry too much about them. That's not the correct approach, is it? All of God's Word is correct and vibrant and needful for every civilization. And so all these 27 New Testament books bear before us the truth of God and be we here in America or be we somewhere in Asia or Africa. This still is a part of what God demands of wives if they are to be as He would have them to be. And so this matter of submission brings us to appreciate some of those matters at the bottom of that slide. What's involved in this issue of submission? May I say that perhaps it would be well at this point to at least pause and say this. And if there are young people in the audience thinking about marriage, and I'm sure that someday in the future you will if not today, then realize that we are encountering today some issues and matters that help us see that these are obligations of marriage that maybe are too quickly overlooked. It is interesting, isn't it, that we're able to devote perhaps many days, maybe even months, sometimes even years, in preparation for the day of the wedding. All things are pretty and beautiful and right, but maybe we fail at times to make preparation for that life of living together after the wedding day. You'll notice that one of the things that a husband should be ready to do on that day he enters marriage is to, of course, love her as he should, and we've discussed that previously. One of the things that any man should then consider as he's contemplating marriage, do I love her in the way that the Bible describes? And is my love for her profoundly set in a way I can pursue that kind of affection and love toward her? But by the same token, the wife should be ready to say, Am I willing to submit to him as the Bible commands? If not, don't get married. If not, do not enter at that time at least into the marriage union. Those two obligations are needful, they're vital, and that home will never be as it should be if both parties aren't in position and ready with an eager and willing heart to do the things herein described. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. 
that wife's submission, as you'll see at the bottom of that slide, it too involves a number of things, just like we noted the husband's love involved a number of things. What are some of them? First, you'll notice here in that verse number 22, husbands, or rather wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. But then there's four words that end that verse, as unto the Lord. In the same way that the husband's love was such that he was to love her as Christ loved the church, we notice that there's a parallel to her submission. She is to submit to the husband as unto the Lord. We each know that we must frequently, in fact always, be in submission to God, unto Christ Jesus and His commandments. We appreciate and understand the greatness of His love toward us and the absolute perfectness of Him. And so it is that we, of course, have a deep-seated desire, if we are as we should be, to submit to Him. And yet the wife is told, submit to your husband that way. Now, we appreciate that doesn't mean the husband is to be treated like Christ. For no man is Christ. That doesn't mean the husband should be looked upon in the reverential, worshipful fashion as one could look on Jesus. For no man is to be worshipped. Jesus said that Himself, didn't He, in Matthew 4 verse 10. But we do know that that involves the idea of an appreciation of respect for the authority that has been vested in the husband by God Himself. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3 makes a statement about that, that authority. It notes there that the head of the woman is the man, the head of the man is Christ, and the head of Christ is God. And as one sees that hierarchy of consideration, we then notice that the woman is to understand the matter of submission and that that submission is proper according to the will of God. It's not that some man has thus decreed she should be this way. It's that God has decreed it. And therefore that makes it special and it makes it perfect and it makes it ideal. That's what brings about then that kind of home that you and I can appreciate. Colossians 3 verse 18, in fact, reminds us yet again about this matter in submission, that it is according to the will of God, and there the language is even more telling, as is fit in the Lord. That word fit means proper. It means appropriate in accordance to that which is the will of God. And so, wives, it is the will of God that you be submissive to your husband. It is His in determined intent by virtue of revealed experience and what He has set forth to us, that that be the case. That submission, in fact, perhaps we can describe even in additional ways. In this very passage before us, verse number 33 of this very same chapter, the closing verse to that chapter, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. And so we notice here was the utility, this statement, that the husband, again, love your wife as you love your own self. But to the wives, he said, see that she, give instruction that she, impress upon her the fact that she reverence her husband. And as you can see, that word reverence means to treat with great respect, to treat with deference, to treat with deep appreciation. And so we notice here that this again is a matter that is placed upon the woman, the wife to understand and to carry out in her daily walk of life. You'll notice in verse number 24, 
it says, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And here we've noticed yet another consideration, that Jesus' statement and the relationship of the church to Him, we see then verse 24, the church subject to Christ. And that submission is complete. It's entire. It's perfect. It's thorough in every respect. It's not that there are loopholes or it's not that there are particular matters in which one sees that there are periods in which there is no such submission. The church is submissive to its head always, isn't it? He now says in that same verse, So let the husbands be to their own husbands, or rather the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So that submission is to be a constant matter. Not every now and then, not once or twice a week, but rather in everything. It's interesting as you and I contemplate that matter. Perhaps there are questions then that arise in our mind. What about the amplification of what that involves? First of all, we could easily say that depending on the husband, that submission could be challenging. If this man over the years since the wedding day has begun to act in very different ways than he should, if he now does not love her as he was commanded, maybe her submission to him will be challenging. Maybe it will be very difficult. But may we be quick to say this does not give us any conditions whereby that submission is to no longer be regarded. That's why it's so important to know one another well before you get married. Because there are no end points apparently for the matter of this submission. It is to be understood even when the difficulty is there, even when he doesn't act as he should, that submission is still to be in place. That submission, you'll notice, is such that here at the bottom of that slide, convenience isn't the matter that explains it. It's not that she used to be submissive when it's convenient. Submissive when it happens to be easily accomplished, but again, he says, even as Christ is such that the church is submissive to Him, it is to be a constant thing. Maybe that submission leads us to the bottom of that slide. It challenges us greatly then to contemplate the obligations given to husbands, love your wives, and to wives, be submissive to your husbands. There are other verses that touch upon differing aspects of the marriage to be sure, but it seems these two are certainly fundamental and foundational. And many times, many of those others will simply help us appreciate these even more deeply. It is for that reason at the bottom of that slide, all of us today that are married can understand that even though we may have been married for a while, maybe many, many years, there's still an opportunity to grow and to appreciate these duties even more profoundly. If we're newlyweds or if we're contemplating marriage, May we not lose sight of how vital these things will be. Isn't it true that when that woman understands that the husband loves her as Christ loves the church, she will have no trouble submitting to him. For she will know that his decisions and she will understand that his activity and conduct is for her best interest and for that which is for her well-being. And she'll understand that because the daily manifestation of the activity of his life will all be directed that way. So the two in many ways play off one another in as much as they help us appreciate more deeply that intimacy that Jesus, of course, has with His church. 
In the same way that He's the head of the church, we of course submit to Him. It is with all that in mind that we come near the close of the lesson this morning. And perhaps in conclusion, these thoughts again can be reiterated like this. We learn that husbands are to love their wives and that that love involved these matters. Did it involve spiritual leadership and purity and the understanding that goes along with sacrifice, the opportunity that one sees in the issue of not embittering her, but then also wives submit to your husbands. And we learn that that involved the following things. Comparison with divine consideration, the respect that goes into that statement of verse 33. And finally, a matter of in everything. When we think about that today, doesn't that challenge us to see how differently the Bible describes marriage in contrast to the way the world sees it? No wonder then we need to teach our children, impress upon others how special is biblical marriage, the obligations that are there to enter into it, and what a lifelong blessing indeed it can be. After all, those same two that are joined here, ideally they'll hope to join, be, of course, in the same presence of God forevermore, enjoying, of course, the opportunity to worship throughout the endless ages. Today, are you a New Testament Christian? A husband can't be all that he should be if he isn't a faithful Christian, and a wife can't be all that she should be if she isn't a faithful Christian. It's only with the help of God, each of them individually in life, and of course jointly as a married couple, that they can truly understand the peace and all the blessings that come from God Himself. Today, if you and I in analysis of our life find ourselves then perhaps in need of prayers for strength, prayers for encouragement, prayers to edify one another, we'd be happy to pray with and for in whatever way we can. But also, if you are not a faithful Christian, you need to, in fact, obey initially. Maybe you've never at all been a Christian. The plan of salvation demands that you believe Jesus to be the Son of God, repent of your sins, confess His name as a Son of God, and be baptized. If we could assist you in that, what a great day it would be for you, and of course for us, to celebrate with you. If you have become a Christian, but you have not lived faithfully, Maybe that lack in faithfulness has begun to harm your marriage. Maybe things are rockier than they should be, and that's because you are not attached to God as you ought to be. Why not beseech today for prayers of forgiveness from God? And as we pray and you feel that forgiveness, it will give you a chance to start afresh and start anew to remake in marriage what it ought to be. If today we could be of any assistance and help to you, we'd be honored to do that. We would simply invite you to let us know while together we stand and while we sing.